Project Management Insights, providing project managers with professional development in the interpersonal skills areas of leadership, team building and communication. All right, welcome everybody to yet another episode of Project Management Insights. And today, another guest is with me. Uh, today I have Antonio Nieto Rodriguez. Oh, and before I go any further, I didn't project management manage myself well last night. As you can hear, my voice is a bit off because I was yelling and screaming <laughs> at the hockey. And so I apologize in advance for that. Hopefully I'm clear enough for you to, to hear though. So Antonio Nieto Rodriguez is the world's champion in project management and founder of the global movement Brightline. He's transformed a tactical project topic pro such as project management into one of the central issues in CEO's 2030 agenda. And Antonio is the author of the book, The Project Revolution, How to Succeed in a Project-Driven World. So welcome, Antonio, and thank you for joining me today. Hello, Karen. Thank you very much for having me in your podcast, Project Management Insight. <laughs> Really a pleasure and uh, I look forward to our discussion. And our discussion is one that's great because of course I dived into Antonio's book and as I said to Antonio just before we started, I have lots of tabs in it, which to me shows me that I'm resonating with a lot of the things that you've written in the book. Right. And so today we're going to dive into a few of those things. Uh, you talked in the book about project success or project failure, more importantly at the start. And I noticed you, you said that in 2012, there was a study by PwC that found that only two and a half percent of 200 companies completed 100% of their projects. That's a, not very many at all. And at the same time, you also talked about Kickstarter startup projects and how 63.7% of those funded failed. That's a lot of failed projects. Why? You know, what, what is it and what are the main reasons that you see that so many of these projects fail? Yeah, well, it's a great question to start uh, right to the point, Karen. So, um, yeah, well, I think the numbers on, on project failures, statistics, and so on, they vary. So 2.5, that was PwC. You can see Bryline talking about strategic initiatives. That's about 70% failure and HBR and, and McKinsey. And so, but basically you're right. Many projects fail more than half of the project fail. That would be maybe the, the number I would take more than half, which is massive, is huge. And, Maybe just thinking about where are the issues? Why do they fail? I can give you a couple of thoughts that maybe are a bit different. I think first one for me is that we tend to make project, um, starting a project very simple. It's very easy. Actually, it doesn't require much. I always talk about how to start a project. You just need to plan a kickoff meeting and then, um, you'll have a lot of people joining because everybody's excited. So people who are part of the invitation, but also who are not, because we love to start. Uh, but then the second day that you plan a meeting on the idea, nobody shows up because it's when you need to start working. So I think 
when uh, we need to be a bit more careful when we start a project. That's a, a key a gate that we often um, ignore or we don't put enough weight about that. Um, so that we I think that would help a lot to just choose the right projects. And, and another thing in that first phase of the project, I believe many projects that start um, organizations, they're not projects. Um, they are still in prototype phases they're still in ideation there uh, people don't really know what the project is for we don't know the scope we don't know the uh, the purpose or the goal so um, i just finished today actually i'm publishing a, an article on hbr around uh when is a project a project and i'm using i'm writing with whitney johnson about the s curve um, so I think in every project, there's a phase where I would not call that a project. It's a, you look at options, you build knowledge, um, um, and then only at that point, and I take an example which might resonate with you, Karen, and the listeners, the first idea to create an iPhone uh, in Apple was shared around 2001. Um, and they said, great idea, great market. We want to be a player there, but it's not the right time experiment around the concept of phones and smartphones and build the knowledge look at prototypes narrow the choices and only in 2004 they set up the project so it took apple three years to say innovation ideation narrow out, build the knowledge and then we really start the project but do it right then is when we start so i would say if we will tackle projects in that respect um that will help a lot so we will choose less projects and and we'll have the maturity to implement them so just to start maybe these are two um two areas where i see there's a potential to do much better and 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 i love that you spoke about that because for me what you've just spoken about there is the work involved in developing and drawing up what i call a business case that stacks up Yes. And, and by that, I mean, it has to clearly show that the money that you're spending is of value and, and forget about return on investment, but value mm -hmm. to the business because you've looked at, you've set the boundaries for, and you've looked at the options, all of the options that are available, and then come up with something that's really, really viable, not just a pie in the sky type yeah. thing. Yeah. Exactly. That phase, I was interested in working for a bank for many years and I was telling my management, we start projects very easily, internal projects very easily. Imagine when I go to a bank for a mortgage or a loan, um, how difficult you make it to give me uh, 20, 30,000 or 100,000 euros, but we're spending millions in projects and you give them straight away, like you say, Karen, yeah. you don't take it thoroughly, that phase of is not just the financial or the cost but the value the purpose the why of the project um, yeah. is not we don't take the time so it happens while you're planning and often happens while you're implementing and that's why many half of the projects fail right right so then i guess what you know if if we do that piece right how can we then get to the place of efficiently working in the project because we know often often there's no efficiency in the way that projects are run so how, how can we move into 
you know, working efficiently as a team, you know, when, we, when we're evolving a project? Yeah. So the, the next area for me that requires quite some importance in order to get better on, on what we do in projects is for, first, yeah, the business case should look at capacity and availability of people. So people think that we can start a project at any time. And I always advise leaders say, if you want to start a project, show me that you finish one or at least cancel two so that we get a bit of slack and, and some resources free. Um, so otherwise you just create more mess in the, in the swamp, it's, it's just it not work. So that is an important step that I see. The second, even more important is, very frustrating for me, Karen, is uh, the best projects require the best people working full time. And it's not a big, big surprise, it's not, but many on most of companies I know, they might have 10,000 people in the organization and they're not able to free up their, I don't know, 20 best resources for two years to do the most strategic project. They all have to work part-time and there's maybe a full-time project manager who's trying to pull everybody together, but they're all part-time. They all have different priorities. Why can organizations not say, now we shift our best people to that project because it's so strategic and they just do that and that would make such a big difference and i'm not talking about 10 percent of the resources i'm talking about one percent or two percent but have that flexibility to pull people from the day-to-day -day activities to the project if you need that um, and what happened was of them work time you work you 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 hire consultants uh, consultants are able to bring the, the 20 people plus 10 more because they have the flexibility but it's very frustrating to see that uh, inability to have that agility and really prioritizing sometimes project which means getting the best talented people in the project and is that I see that though as in and I've worked in government where there was no what I will call the enterprise view or the organization view yeah. of the projects that were being undertaken. And therefore, it, like somebody would start one over here, there's already three running over here and the resources, the same resources are needed to, and yet there's, you know, that they're, they're sitting in isolation and not actually talking as a whole, as a, as a, as a business to say, well, okay, which ones of these, which one of these projects are going to give us the most value back for the business? Exactly. And therefore, where do we put those key resources? Where do we put the money? Where do we spend the time that's going to make, you know, make it better for the business in the long term? Exactly. They're, they're spreading a bit the risk. They're not making ball moves. Back maybe, Karen, to the example before of the Apple, as far as I research, they were selecting the best people in Apple and they were putting them full time on building the iPhone full time. And, and of course, more people would say, who's going to do my job? I'm the VP of marketing. I mean, don't worry, somebody else will take care. That's not the most difficult part. We can put your deputy or we can put somebody else, but you move for the next two years and a half to that strategic program or project. So I think this, which looks a bit difficult, is not that difficult and, and makes a big difference in successful projects. Right. But how do you get the leaders to see that? Because <clears throat> oftentimes projects will kickstart because somebody's got money, they get, a, they get a budget or they've got money left in their budget before the end of the financial period and they want to spend it in a hurry. 
Yeah. <laughs> and again, it's like, it's that, well, we just want to get it, get it done, getting it done quickly, like you spoke about earlier. Mm. I mean, to me, it's the whole, the whole focus on that is the, it's, the, the, it's coming from the wrong approach. How do we train the leaders or get the leaders into the space of thinking differently about projects within their organization? Great question. Follow up on that. Uh, I absolutely agree that leaders are often the weakest link when you talk about project and project success. And, and there's such a big difference beyond what we already talked, which I think makes a big difference. But once you have a committed senior leader or sponsor in a project and they understand the role and, and you can see that again and again, one of my goal in, in my research is always finding those amazing projects that were successful. You have that constant where the sponsor was actively engaged, if not almost 100%, maybe 20% or 30% dedicated to the project. Uh, every week, check-in status, being part of the team, being part of the stand-up meeting sometimes. So completely embedded. And unfortunately, this is the, the, the exception, like you say, Karen. So uh, I do think that we have tried to train uh, there's a lot of books around project sponsorship. I think one of the challenges I've seen is that sponsors need to understand, uh, we need to translate project management to the language of sponsors. They are not interested in our technical terms uh, as much as we think. So it's more, you talk about value earlier, Karen, and it's about that is, is we're not talking about a project, we're talking about strategic initiative, transformation, uh, value creation, uh, the future of the business. Uh, and we've not been trained to that. If you look at the trainings that we receive are, are extremely technical, very, a lot of terminology. Um, so I, I do believe that once you change the language to talk to, leadership and business talk you get a bit more buying um, and then it's up to the project managers to educate the sponsor saying uh, for example i will never take a project which is important when i don't get the commitment of the sponsor i say if you're not available for me every let's say two weeks or half an hour i will not take this project because i know it's going to fail and your task you're accountable uh, you need to be there. So I'm more able to have this frank conversation one-on-one -on -one and trying to educate my sponsors, but there is a lot of room for improvement in that area. Absolutely. Mm. Well, it's interesting that you say once every two weeks because the, pro the last project that I ran that was a critical 12-month uh, deadline project to deliver wow. a brand new IT system to replace an existing one, uh, I would spend 15 minutes with my sponsor every day. Wow. Because it was the only way for me to make sure that he was fully aware of exactly what was going on, where there were likely to be problems that would erupt, mm -hmm. and, and therefore to gain uh, the... I suppose support that was needed from the other project control board members who were all IT. He mm. was the business sponsor. And so it was a matter of him having the knowledge for me, it was the knowledge that he needed that if at any time I needed him to go into bat for the project, which mm. was key for him, forget about IT. This was, this was about his business, the business that he was in. 
like it was very important to have him on board. And so 15 minutes every day, that would be wow. my first task when I'd get in. And it, and it worked. The, the project was delivered successfully because he was there all the time, able to respond at any time when he's needed. So absolutely educating your sponsor is a key or keeping your sponsor involved and in the loop. And yes, it meant that he, he did buy into it because it was important to him. So that has to be there. And this is, I guess, back to our point of if that buy-in isn't there at the start, then the project shouldn't start. Absolutely. And I love it's the first time I hear that, Karen. So I love the, your best practice of 15 minutes every day with the business sponsor. Uh, absolutely great example. I love it. Thank you, Karen. So uh, maybe just uh, um, uh, my personal approach to try to improve this situation. I, I'm, I'm asked to teach regularly in companies, project management. And my rule is that, fine, I can teach for one or two days. I'm not certifying, I'm just giving a good foundation on what's the project. And, but I never train a company where they don't allow me to train senior managers, half a day. Mm -hmm. But I say, what's the point? I'm not going to make an impact. I can train them. Uh, I might make some money, but if you want to make an impact, I need to train your senior leaders. Uh, if you're committed to that, then I'm happy to teach you. So I know it's not so easy for many training companies, but I think if we would put this on the table, it will help a lot. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So in your book, you have a project canvas. Mm. Do you want to tell me about that, that canvas that you've mapped out and how that works? Yeah. So the thinking behind Karen comes from this whole idea of simplification. I know you're also a big fan on that. Um, so I, I, I like business concepts. I like management concepts, not just for projects, but in general. So I always thought like the five forces of Michael Porter on strategy was a brilliant tool. Um, there is some change management. We know Kotler, the eight steps and, the, um, and even the project, uh, the Agile Manifesto is something that anybody can understand. But for me, it was frustrating because in the project management concepts that I knew or the PM Bulk as a reference, there was no one pager. It was all very technical back to my earlier point. So I wanted to find a framework that it could be used by anybody who is not a master in projects, but to understand the basics. It's also, uh, I, I've been working with Alex Osterwald from the business model canvas and it's so simple. Then I said, let's try to replicate that for projects. So that's my attempt to simplify project management, to make it accessible to students, to nonprofit, to people who are not PMPs, uh, yeah. business leaders and just by going through the different questions get to a good assessment of well this project looks good or we have lots of gaps so better think about it before or stop it and and rethink so that's the whole idea of the canvas I, I i know you saw it so i hope it resonates and i can go deeper in the four dimensions if you want 
Yes, please. Yeah, let's let's talk the talk the listeners through that because uh, it the project canvas. Of course, I've seen it in Antonio's book, uh, and so and it's available. Is it only available through your book at the moment, or no, on your website no, as well? No, I, I share it um, when people reach me. I might okay. put it on my website. I've done quite some webinars in pmi.org. Yeah. Um, so it's yeah, it's available. But I'm happy to share. This is. And I'm sure it can be improved. I, I, my goal is not for me. I don't get any money from it. So I just want that we do projects better. Sure, sure, um, sure. So, yeah, so talk us through um, what, what Antonio has created is a one-pager, which is what I loved about it because it's there. You know, it, it's right just there on one page. You don't have a whole huge volume to think about. And for me, I've, I've actually had my ProSci map because uh, I'm ProSci certified. So I have my ProSci change management map there and that's the same sort of thing. It's same. one page and it's really, really easy for me then to do my job because I can just follow the, the steps or the, the material that's there. So I love that. Yeah. Exactly. And, and it will not make you the 100% project manager, but it will address the key challenges that we face. So let me just walk you to the four dimensions. There's, uh, um, I think many will resonate. So it's just more the way to present them and, and maybe a couple of additions. But the first one, when you talk about this, Karen, before, is the why of the project. And, oh, yeah. and, and you cannot imagine how many projects I see that, yes, they do have an attempt to have a business case, but I'm not sure most of the time it's very thorough and, and we, yeah, we're, we tend to maybe over-optimistic in, in our business cases so that they're chosen. So uh, the why, for me, it's also what you talked before, the value or the purpose of the project is why are we doing this project? Which problem are we trying to solve? Which opportunity? Yeah. Um, it's so fundamental, not just because it helps to understand the nature of the project, but because we're using, going to use the why throughout the project to increase the engagement of the stakeholders and the executive support. Um, as opposed to financials, that doesn't engage the people, maybe the senior leaders, but the organization, you know that is today engaged by a strong purpose and people will connect to that and will be happy to volunteer to work for your project. So um, I do a lot of um, yeah, exercises with project managers to come up with the true purpose of their project. And it's not an, an HR system. We have a system uh, and we talk about the system, but nobody cares about the system. The system is there to maybe increase the engagement of, of the staff because they're demotivated or maybe CRMs are more for engaging better with your customers and selling more. So it's frustrating to see how, how we have been educated to talk about artifacts, deliverables. And we talk, I always say, we go to a restaurant and they will tell us how we made the dish and what the ingredients of the dish are, but nobody tells you how delicious it is. Yes. Um, and that is something that if we change, the world is completely different. Absolutely. And I, and I so love that because you use the words that, that I believe are the key and that's the, what problem are we really solving? What's the real problem? Forget about, you know, what is it going to give us? And, and I guess for me, it always comes back to the change. So yeah. what is the change that we want to make? 
and therefore what problem are we solving or what opportunity are we taking up in order to make that change and and if we if we consider it from that perspective it's easy to find out what the why yeah. the why pops right out because there there's always that's always there and they usually always know that mm-hmm. and the other thing that resonated with me when you were explaining that is that if we get this why right it makes this scope management so mm. much easier because we can always come back to does this match our why yes or no if it's no well we're not we shouldn't be doing it if it's yes right we're on track and we're fine exactly i, I love the compliment the additions thinking that you bring karen it uh, i love this podcast with people which are experienced like you and thinking beyond the tradition because it's it's, it's just great discussion and we build on that uh, absolutely. So, um, so yes, the why, the why, is something that believe it or not is not something that people talk so much, uh, and and you know that. And uh, of course, the business case is super important, but we need to start talking about the why. So that's why I start with that, and that would be my first dimension. And like you said, if there's no why, we cannot define in a simple matter the problem then don't start that means yeah. that you're not ready yeah uh, yep. that you can explore you can do more things and then come back in two weeks or two months yeah yeah <clears throat> the second big dimension is the i call it the who so the who uh, i wanted to highlight here is the role of the executive sponsor or the business sponsor um, who's accountable for the success of the project. So we talk about this. We know how important uh, numbers is about 30 to 40% of the success of a project comes from that role. And, and most of the time is not present. So yeah, that already explains a lot of project failure. So that's where we need to focus much more than what we do today. And we talk about the different techniques and I love the 15 minutes every day. That's, best practice by far. Um, so yeah, I want to just highlight the executive sponsor and to have a good governance in place. Don't start, especially this large transversal, uh, multi-country, multi-site, multi-businesses projects without clear governance because you're going to struggle. We know that. So better take one more week or two to put at least the key players and, and, and the steering committee in place before you even start thinking about the scope or, or the time or the planning. So there for me, the key to, uh, and I, and when I spoke with um, George last week about this on a different podcast episode, but we were talking about having that end to end view you need to understand the whole, all of your stakeholders, the whole impact of what it is that you're going to be doing, right? Yeah. And so if we don't do that, we, we tend to leave out and that's where the problems occur with things flipping, you know, that, that's where the problems in our project, when we get into project phase occur because all of a sudden they come up to bite us when we're not expecting them. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's a thinking process that it might evolve, your governance can evolve for sure. But at least like you say, let's have a whole picture and maybe we're not talked yet at, at the Rocky matrix. It's too early, but the governance and, and the players and link to the sponsorship. And I think these are important decisions that if you don't take them at the beginning, then it's going to be very hard. 
And does this also involve then, and I know we're getting back into the technical aspect of project management, but your project control board members, Correct. because oftentimes we don't have the right people with the right level of accountability or responsibility, people that have the, the ability to make a change, to get resources, to, you know, get support for funding, whatever it is, but they're not the people that are on our project control board. So we really don't have the right people supporting the project from the start either. Absolutely. Spot on. Yes, Karen. Your project control board, if you're using our technical terms, should be in the governance. Right. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, so then number three. Third dimension, so we talk about the why, the who, and the third one will be the, the more technical, the one we're more familiar, uh, the what, the how, and the when. So it's maybe oversimplifying with the what, the how, but there you will see the traditional knowledge areas that we have in the PM box, the scope, the time, the cost, the quality, risk mm -hmm. and procurement, that's the, the, the more, yes, technical ones. I always have in the canvas a question. So what, what will the project produce and deliver? What will be the project completion date? Or so, so always working with questions so that people can understand what goes below uh, the scope. And each of them, of course, has different tools and techniques. But yeah. the big part here is putting a lot of emphasis on the soft skills. Um, so you'll see human resources the competencies, the right people, the stakeholders plays a huge role. Uh, and then instead of communication that you see in PM Bach, uh, I would call it more change management. And I know you are in your, uh, that's one of your core areas, Karen, but I think communication in projects is not enough. So that's why I wanted to say, no, let's call it change management. Uh, that's what you really need to do projects successful. So that's the third dimension. But so tell me, well, so tell me for a second about that though. So, so if communication from a, are we, are we talking about from a project manager's perspective here? Yeah. Or are we talking about the broader context? So as a project manager, if communication isn't enough, what does change management look like for me as a project manager? Well, I think for change management, uh, I would always try to find experts. There's people who are certified with change management techniques. You know, nowadays we have four or five different generations in organizations. All of them have different ways to communicate, uh, to understand, to feel, to, uh, to think. To So it's not just by sending an email every week or putting something on the internet or that you're going to have that change happen in, with your project. So right. I mean, most of the projects bring change along. So that's for me is thinking about change in the broader sense is how can we really change the way people think, uh, people are engaged, uh, motivated to support and get the buy-in for the project, change their behavior. Uh, so these are things which they're not trained project manager most of the time. So I see it's a combination, a binom that you need to form with change management experts. If it's a small, low-scale project, yeah, we can do some sort of basic change management, but big transformation, big M&A work, you need an expert in that field. And otherwise, you'll miss one leg of the chair, and that's going to be a big challenge. 
Absolutely. And thank you for saying that because, I mean, I've worked on so many projects where they haven't had a change manager and they they missed the whole point of it. They want to go and deliver something. Well, yeah, great. Deliver it. And then what? Like it becomes useless because the people in the business where we've made the change, be that customers, you know, clients internally, they don't get it. They, they don't get it and it's dropped on them and they're expected to just accept it. Well, no, that doesn't work. So thank you for saying that. I mean, I've worked on both sides. I, I'm a yeah. project manager who did my own change management work and then I became a certified change manager. So I'm now, I now understand both sides. And one of my earlier podcast episodes was to make your project mani- to make your change manager, your ally, not your enemy, because mm-hmm. it's exactly that work with a change manager on exactly. a project from early on. Uh-huh. From early on, and uh, and why should there be friction or enemies? We are there for the same thing. So, yeah, I know it's a sensitive topic. It has been sensitive since I I'm in this space. But I think the successful projects definitely include an, a strong expertise on on that aspect. And more and yep. more, more and more. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> so number four. And number four, and the last I mentioned, which also we sort of cover in the methodology, <clears throat> but I wanted to bring it forward, so therefore put it in the canvas, was the where. So it's, it does have a big impact uh, the way the organization treats projects, the maturity of project management in an organization, the support that the project will receive from a mature PMO, um, from the competencies base to have a clear prioritization process where your project uh, has a high priority. So these are all factors that do influence. So I wanted to put that in the picture and say, well, if you have a great project with all the things above and the three dimensions, but the where that project takes place is a chaotic organization with many, many projects, is not going to be very easy. You might be finding problems. So think about that. I, I know it goes a bit beyond the scope of, of control of a project manager, but again, it's about influencing, uh, using the senior leadership to help you on that respect. Uh, it's just another important factor that I wanted to put that into the canvas and that we look at it and see whether we're red, amber or green, or what can we do to get better in that respect. Yeah, and I love that because this for me, it ties into all of the things that you've talked about on the canvas in terms of having a strong project sponsor, having the the project control board or the right stakeholders involved in the project. If you have the whole... it's about the business involvement yeah. in the in in the project, and I mean that in an exter- like they don't have to be they're not part of your project team, the 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 core part of the team doing the actual work work necessarily, and yet in the broader context they are because if they're along for the journey, then again there can only be project success. Exactly, exactly. So we sh- exactly you just. Yeah, stated in a similar way what I wanted to do, more clear even. So, yes, so as a project manager, it's something that we need to keep an eye on. As a sponsor, we need to know and, and, and work on that. Yeah, yeah. So I, I can see straight away how using this approach, this, this simplicity and looking at a project from this particular canvas view would certainly 
change and improve the ability to have a successful project? Because for me, they're the core things that are always missing when we focus on the technical too much. Yes, and, and that was my intention that you can have, you don't need a report of 50 pages to know if a project is in control or not. I think you can have a canvas where you highlight, well, we have challenges on the time, on the resources, on the stakeholders, but have a half an hour discussion on how yeah. to address it. So it's using the time better to focus on solutions uh, together, working together to solve those issues rather than spending the time making reports that nobody reads. Yeah, so I call that exception reporting. For yeah, me, it's exactly. exception reporting, right? All we're exactly. doing when we go to our project control board is reporting the exceptions. Exactly. They don't really care about the minute details of are we doing everything okay? It's where are things not going the way that they should be? And mm. then how can we fix that? Yes, yes, exactly. So I, 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 I completely agree that it's exception-based and it's... Uh, it's content based, it's about the project, the value, that's the good discussions, not finger pointing or not drilling down into spending hours into details. Yeah, I agree. Right. Nice. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. This has been a great discussion about this project, like setting these projects up for success right from the start. Mm -hmm. And there are a number of these key things that we can focus on or educate our leaders in our organizations to focus on once they understand that they are the key things that make a difference between a failed project and a successful project and to not start just for the sake of having a project. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's one another last comment, Karen. I think we, the profession will need to change as well. So there's a big area of work on how, um, according to Garner, they said that many of our tasks will be done by robots and artificial intelligence. So I do think that it's not just with a clear framework or uh, good education, but I think there needs to be some uh, <coughs> serious transformation in the profession um, to look more end-to-end -end about the project, starting from the innovation part, design thinking, being involved in that phase that we usually never see and we just get the business case. I think we're going to shift that way. And I think sometimes we need to run what we built in the projects. There's nobody else who knows more about what the project delivers than the PM. So why do we need to change from project to project to project? So I think there will be changes there. And the big focus will be on benefits. Like you said at the beginning is, is the value. How can we deliver that faster? Um, and, and we are not trained for that either. So, we need to change as project managers, but the future looks right, very right. Awesome, awesome. So for the listeners, if they want to pick up a, book, a copy of your book, The Project Revolution, uh, where is it available? On Amazon, I'm guessing? It's in Amazon. Um, yeah, it's in Amazon. It's in Amazon and other bookstores, but just, yeah, it's, I can send a link later on, but Amazon is the right place. 
Yeah, no, well, I'll add it into the project note, the notes for the podcast episode and also the post that will go up on Project Management Insight. So if you're interested in getting a copy of Antonio's book, um, have a look on Amazon. And as we explained, it does have the project canvas in it and explanation of it. But also go and visit Antonio's website, Antonio Rodriguez, AnietaRodriguez.com, and uh, you'll be able to have a look at all the material that Antonio has got there. So thank you so much for joining me today. It's been another really, really wonderful discussion for me. I love it when someone's on the same, we're on the same page. So thank you Likewise, very, very much. Karen, absolutely love it. And I've learned as well from this talk. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this Project Management Insights podcast. Be sure to visit projectmanagementinsight.com and sign up for our monthly newsletter or to receive updates on upcoming training.